Right, I've been uh, preaching through the book of Ruth. The title of the series is I Will Follow uh, After That Statement of Ruth uh, in uh, chapter 1 of Ruth, but I'm not preaching through in Ruth today. So if you're turning to Ruth, I'm sorry. Turn to Ephesians. I just want to tell you for next week. Next week we're going to be in Ruth chapter 4. And if you get the weekly study, you'll see that. Um, we're going to cover a big, broad range of chapter, verses 1 through 12 of chapter 4 next Sunday. But this Sunday is a special Sunday. We've got the grill out tonight, and it's not just about hamburgers and hot dogs. It's not just about the four-square um, scavenger hunt, um, which I hope a, a lot of you, um, people you know, just a slight bit younger than me, will come, come out to. But uh, at 4.30, but um, it's going to be, uh, while you're eating, it'll be kind of like dinner theater, because while you're eating, um, I'm going to be up there, you're going to see some videos, you're gonna, we're, um, we're going to have someone else share some things, some new things going on at WPC, and we want you to know about that, we want you to plug into that and be involved in that, and, and so I really hope you'll come and enjoy that time, and uh, it's going to be good, and... Uh, be there. So that's why I'm preaching through Ephesians 2 today, because I'm going to talk about, because tonight we're going to kind of talk about some, some new things going on at our church. So it's kind of a day about um, Westminster. And so the sermon this morning, and if you've been here before, you know we talk about it all the time, and it's on the cover of your bulletin, a community of grace. That's really so much a part of what you know, there's certain things you say, I throw down the gauntlet here, I'm willing to die for this. This is one of these things that we say, willing to die for this, to be a community of grace. Don't want to be anything else than a community, and a community of grace. And so, uh, I'm going to preach about it this morning from Ephesians And I'm going to read the whole chapter. I know this is kind of a long chapter, but I want you to see how it all fits together. I kind of want to give you the big picture today. Don't always do that, but today I kind of want to give you the big picture and to see how community and how grace fit together so well. And it's so vital that we get that. Beginning at verse 1, Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in, your, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, 
And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you uh, who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both, Jew and Gentile, both, have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's Ephesians chapter 2. And I wanted to read the whole thing. I don't usually read a whole chapter to you like that. But I wanted you to hear the whole thing to see, to kind of start to see how it fits together. We're talking about a community of grace today. And it's really important. It's not important to talk about it just because, well, you know, that's what our church is. You know, that's kind of key in our church. I mean, you know, I do want to talk about it because that, but that's not really the, the real thing. It's not important just because it's kind of cool and people talk about community and grace and that's kind of a, you know, people are just interested in that. I'm not even, not even excited about talking about it because so many people need community. So many people are alone. I mean, just flat alone. Oh, they have acquaintances. They have, you know, but they're just alone. They really are. Um, heard the guy on the radio last night. He said he gets, gets, talks to men all the time. Group of 50 men. How many of you have a close friend? Zero men. Generally, zero raise their hand. And people are dying. Because they don't have community. And uh, it's essential to us. We're all into health and everything, but you know, they say it's, 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 uh, it's you know, if you have friends, if you have community, 
it has a better contrib- contribution to your health than eating well and exercising. God just made us for community. Um, and then so many people just need to hear the message of grace. I mean, people who've been going to church all their life, like me. <laughs> you know, I was one of these people. I went to church all my life and somehow understood grace as far as, you know, okay, I come to know Christ by grace and going to heaven. Okay, it's by what he did. But then jumped into this thing where I was living by the law, living by works, and not partaking of the rich grace of God, not being fed by that. And so many people who are kind of thinking about church, thinking about, or maybe thinking about Jesus, it's like, I don't want to do that because I know what that's about. I know that's about church lady. I know that's about a bunch of rules and a bunch of self-righteous, angry, hypocritical people who are going to throw down a bunch of rules on me and judge me all the time and criticize me. I, I, don't, I can't do that. I, I run into people all the time that say that. And I say, uh, I understand. Too much has been that way. It has not been so many times a community of grace. So I'm excited about that. But most of all, I'm excited because this is what God talks about. I mean, this is what God wants. It's very clear in the Bible. He wants us to be a community of grace. And we know he loves us. And so if he wants this for us, it's the very best for us. It's life for us. It's goodness for us. And so... We're talking about a community of grace this morning from Ephesians 4. I want to I cover it in kind of five ways. And you think I'm going to preach for three hours. It's not going to be three hours, but I just want to cover these five things this morning. That grace flows out of truth. Freedom flows out of grace. Community flows out of freedom. And then... We come back again. Grace flows out of community. And then what does that mean for us? Let me just kind of go over that again. I saw some of you jotting down some notes. But grace flows out of truth. Freedom flows out of grace. Community flows out of freedom. And grace flows out of community. And then finally, what does that mean for, for us, for you and me. Grace flows out of truth. Now, I understand grace comes from God. It's a gift of God. The God's riches at Christ's expense. But from our perspective, from the human perspective, you could say, and it's clear in this passage, grace comes on the heels of seeing the truth. Um, it's kind of like when we went to a movie, this, we were in Florida this last week, and it's good to be back. Um, you know, we always say that, uh, you know, sometimes it's not good to be back. I'd like to be, you know, Florida again, but, but, it's, but, but it is good to be back. And, but we saw a movie down there. We saw the, um, uh, the Rise of the Planet of the Apes, which is an interesting movie. But we had to get a ticket to go in and watch the movie. And I would say, in a sense, in a limited sense, the truth, that seeing the truth is the ticket to be able to experience and see God's grace. And this is where a lot of people stumble. We think, oh, I want truth. No, I want to know what's true. I want to know. I want to know the truth. Do we really? There's a song by um, 
a, a group. Fleetwood Mac. Tell me, remember that? Tell me lies, tell me lies, tell me sweet little lies. I was going to read some of the lyrics, but it's really a sad song. Because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's this woman who's been disappointed. Uh, I don't know if it's a boyfriend or husband. And she just wants to, she just wants to close her eyes and pretend she hasn't seen what she's seen because she doesn't want to, she doesn't want to deal with the truth. Just, just tell me lies. Just, I, I can't deal with it. In, in psychology, we call it denial. And, and so many of us are in denial about certain things because it's just so painful. And, and I would say that one of the things we tend to be deni- in denial about is what it talks about in verses 1 through 3. Let me read that to you. This is Apostle Paul writing this, and he says, you were, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I mean, I, I just love Paul because he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't play around, you know. He doesn't say, well, you're, you know, you're kind of messed up. You know, that's what, what I would say. I'd say, well, you know, you, you kind of got some areas that kind of messed up in your life. Paul says, no. He says, you were dead. I mean, that's just as bad as you can get. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You're not, there's no pulse. And then the next verse, verse 2, he goes on, he says, in which you once walked, following the course of this world. And listen to this, following the prince of the power of the air. You were followers of Satan. You know, you weren't kind of messed up and kind of you know, had some bad habits. I mean, you're followers, you're dead, you're followers of Satan. And then verse 3, he, he just kind of says that, you know, you, um, you either now or have been a child of wrath. You not kind of got it wrong, a child of wrath. I mean, he really kind of says it pretty strongly. But the point is that the Bible talks about this thing called sin. And we struggle with that. I struggled with that for a long time because what I was doing was comparing myself with people. And I said, I haven't done anything wrong. And then I started reading the Bible. And I realized that, you know, that my thoughts could be sin. You know, Jesus said, if you look at one to lust for, you've already committed adultery. So you, you, God does, is aware of our thoughts, and, and our thoughts are prideful thoughts and selfish thoughts and greedy thoughts and all that kind of stuff. You know, God looks at those thoughts and, and every single thought that's not right. I mean, sin, 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 sin. And it goes on like that. And so it just, it, and it stacks up. It's like traffic tickets. The record stacks up. And then... I realized, you know, I thought, well, if I could go in a cave and get away, you know how they say like, well, you know, it's, a, it's the movies and television and these people, these bad influences around you. You know, if you get in a cave and go somewhere, try to get away from people, some sin the Bible talks about is sin of omission, failing to do the good that we should do. You know, we could, I haven't done anything wrong. Okay, what have you done right? <laughs> I heard about a guy who had this little challenge, and it was not to speak anything bad about anything, not any gossip, not any half-truths or little white lies, um, not to say anything bad about anybody, not to do anything like that for an entire week. Got a group of people, they came back. How many of you passed? One lone guy raises his hand. 
you passed? Nobody's ever passed. You passed? He said, yeah. How'd you pass? He said, I didn't speak all week. Totally silent. And the man said, well, what good? Did you encourage anyone? Did you tell anybody about Jesus? Did you, did you challenge anybody that needed to be challenged? Oh, well, see, that's sin. So, you know, and my problem was I was comparing myself with other people, and then I realized that the, we really have to compare ourselves with God because God is the judge. I mean, other people can judge us and misjudge us. Haven't you had that? Haven't you had people that you, you go, oh, man, they're the best, and then later on you go, oh, boy, I did not see that. Or other people, you know, that uh, first impressions, oh, man, what a jerk. And then they become your best friend, <laughs> you know, later on. So uh, uh, we don't judge people very well, but God says he is of purer eyes than to even look on iniquity. He says, the soul that sins, it shall surely die. So God is perfect, and he says, here's the standard, and here's the point of all this, because it sounds kind of discouraging. The point that God wants us to see is, We've all failed, including myself. We've all failed the test. We've all flunked. But God says there's something else available. But you've got, to, you've got to get the ticket before you can see the movie. You've got to be willing to see that. And, and for me, it was like, I don't want, no, I don't want to know. I don't want to know about it. I don't want to think about it. It's too bad. No, I don't want to. And finally, it's like one day... God sort of pulled back the curtain. And, you know, that wasn't fun. But the good thing was that right then was an experience of God's grace you couldn't pay money for. And I, I love this, how Paul writes, because look at what he does. Verse 3, you're, you know, you're children of wrath. <laughs> and then look at verse 4. And then he goes right into verse 4. I mean, he doesn't even breathe. He doesn't even pause. He just goes right into it. And that's what he does. He says, but God, but God, but God, being rich in mercy, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. What a statement. Look at that for a minute. Look at the words here. Being rich in mercy. Not being merciful. Not having mercy, it doesn't say. Being rich in mercy. Susan used to make this dessert. My parents uh, would, you know, come over and try the dessert. And they would eat like, they'd put a little tiny bit on their fork. And they'd say, oh, that's so rich. Uh, that's so right. I need to have a cup of coffee with that. It's so rich. That's what I always think of when I read that. Because It's rich. It's just packed with mercy. It, God is rich in mercy. Um, it's not, there's not some limitation to that. Um, uh, I just remember praying one time, just being really, really struggling at a certain time years ago. And, uh, and just walking around this neighborhood I didn't even know. I was just walking around. And uh, just praying, God is there. Is there an answer? Is there, man, I am just a mess. I mean, how do you deal with that? I, is, there, is there mercy enough for me? And I remember just about that time, it's just like, I just had this sense of, look up. I looked up. I see this water tower. Like, is there enough water there for you? Yeah. Is there enough, gra is there enough grace for you, for your stuff? 
God is rich in mercy. And look what it says, not because of his love for which he, but because of his great love with which he loved us. The question is, does God love us because Jesus died on the cross or did Jesus die on the cross because, because God loves us? Jesus died on the cross because God loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loves us. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Uh, something else I'd like you to see. Um, verse 7. That Paul says, because he goes right in. See, truth leads in to truth. The hard truth. The unvarnished truth. Here's your sin. Followers of Satan. Dead. Children of wrath. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. And so then he, he's veering off into grace now, and he's saying, okay, you've seen the truth now. Here's grace for you. Verse 7 says, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What, is, what does that mean? What it means is that as much, think of the person that gets God's love that you think they understand it more than anybody else you know that understands it. The fact is, they really don't. God says it's going to take all of eternity for you to, to, to be able to fathom how awesome His love is for you. The coming ages, it's going to be revealed more and more. It doesn't stop. It's not like, oh, well, you know, I remember when I was new in Christ and when I first saw it. Yeah, it was really special then, but, you know, it's kind of old hat now. No, 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 you don't get it. There's more. There's, there's more. It's like you buy a house and you go, oh, this is nice. It's three bedroom, two bath. And then you see the story. You go, now, I haven't noticed this. You go in and it opens up into this huge room again. And there's another door and it, goes, it takes you into a garage and there's a Ferrari in the garage. And there's another door, and, you know, and it just goes on and on and on. That's, uh, that's what happens. There's a question in something called the Westminster Catechism. And I know some of you have heard about the Westminster Catechism, the Westminster Confession of Faith. I did not write it. Our church did not come up with it, our leader. That's, that's a group of people, great leaders back 350 years ago, 1647. I mean, you think of John Piper. You think of these, you know, D.A. Carson. Um, someone put on Facebook this week, I heart D.A. Carson. I thought that was so funny. Um, the, Matt Chandler, R.C. Sproul. You just think of these people, you go, wow. And they, all these people got together and then they wrote, they said, okay, how can we help people? Because people don't, I mean, they're, they're, it, was just, it, was, it was like the Western frontier back in Christianity in those days. It was so many different kind of ideas. How do we kind of bring people in and understand the core issues of the faith? And so they wrote this thing called the Westminster Commission, and they said, let's do a catechism so people can kind of ask a question, get the answer, kind of learn it that way. The very first question, what is, what is the chief end? means purpose. What is the chief purpose of man? It's a good question. It says the chief end of man is to glorify God. And then here's the point I want to explode for you. And to enjoy him forever. And I learned that as a kid. And I was like, oh, the chief end of man is to glorify God. That's what I always thought of it as. And I had lost the rest of it. 
and to enjoy Him forever. Why does God want you to see the truth? To rake you over the coals to say, look, look at the mess you make. No, no, no. It's so then you can get the ticket and you can see His grace. Because He, he wants you to see His grace. And when you see it, when you see it, uh, you'll become free because freedom flows out of grace. I love, Steve Brown wrote a book entitled Scandalous Freedom. It is a scandalous freedom. What if I told you that no matter what you did, God would always love you? How, how, how you messed up, how you uh, got angry at him, he would never leave you and never forsake you. Some people say, oh, well, that's dangerous to say. I mean, people see that and they will run for the world, the flesh, and the devil. No, I don't believe so. We only get better when we realize that if we never get better, God will love us anyway. That's the only time we start getting better. Freedom flows out of grace. And so when we realize that through Christ we are the prodigal son and we are loved and accepted, and instead of pushing that son off and saying, do you know what you did? Do you understand the misery you put my mother, your mother and I through? He runs out and hugs him and kisses him and throws a party. That's meant for you. That's meant for you to see. Because I was one, man, when I messed up, last person I wanted to talk to was God. Because I thought, he's angry. No, he's not angry. All that was taken out on the cross. You're his. And when you get that, it sets you free. Free... Free to live for God. Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus uh, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, every true believer I know wants to be better. They want to be more loving. They want to be more patient. They, they want to be better. And God says, you know what? You're going to get to be better. I'm going to set you free to be better. It's called freedom from sin. And you see his grace. And what happens is, then there's a, new, there's a new power to live for him. There's a new motivation. There's a new motivation to live for him. You know, sometimes that's a real problem. I remember um, about this woman. I, I think this is a true story, actually. Not one of these preacher stories. I think it's actually a true story. That this woman had this husband... And I mean, he was a slave driver. I mean, he was like one of these kind of, you know, super organized people that would give her a list every day. And, and uh, you know, he, she would not get it all done. And he'd say, I think you're not using your time very well. I think if you did this and this and this, I think you could get it done. And, you know, she would try. She really would try, but she just couldn't get the list done. But it was just 
so hard. And she would sometimes, when she saw the clock and she saw it was about time that he would get home, she would start, she would look at that list and her hand would be trembling. Oh no, I failed him again. And so um, he died, you know. (laughs) That's not the end of the story. (laughs) That's it. You can go home now. Um, He died. She marries another man. (laughs) I bless you. That's good. We're good. It's about grace. It's a community of grace. We love each other. Um, The... um, and so the, the, the new husband, and she, she was saying, uh, uh, what do you need me to do? And he said, what do you, what do you mean? He said, she said, well, I mean, um, there's, I'm sure there's some things you need me to do around the house and everything. And he said, I don't know. I mean, whatever you think. I mean, it's your house too. Remember, both our names are on there. And I mean, I'm, you know, uh, and, you know, and she, she, she didn't have a job, so she was staying home and and this went on and on. She kept waiting for the hammer to fall down, for one day for him just to lose it and say, I can't believe how undisciplined you are. I can't believe what a sluggard you are. I cannot believe what a slob you are. Never happened. And later, a few months later, she was, she was working, she was dusting and everything, and she came across an old list from her first husband that she had put in a book or something. And she realized something. She was doing the exact same things as she was when she was married to her first husband. The only difference was it was a completely different motivation and it felt completely different. She was not under a slave driver. She was under someone who cared for her. You're not slaves. As believers, you're not slaves. You're sons, you're daughters. But how often we default into that slavery mode. And that's what's radical about what we're talking about. Because it's God we're talking about. And he says, you're mine, your sons, your daughters. And it frees us up. Uh, And I knew this question. I, I could imagine myself listening to this and thinking, okay, Jim, I know this. I've accepted Jesus. I, I understand about grace. Why, why am I not free? Why do I struggle so much? Why, you know, um, why is that? Martin Luther asked this question. This is a man that um, we call him a great reformer, this German monk who uh, one day is he's well it kind of slowly came out but we always think of one day you know we like again it's a good movie uh romans 117 he reads the just shall live by faith he realizes that it's free that he doesn't have to earn god's favor and it changes his life and then he realizes that he finds himself going back to being a monk or kind of in that mindset I've got to earn my way. He, this guy used to beat himself with whips because he thought God would be you know, happy that he was beating himself up over his own, literally beating himself up over his own sins. And he said he realized he had to every day go back again to the Gospels the way he referred to it. And then he said, as pastors, he said, you have to beat the Gospel into your people's heads <laughs> again and again because we forget it. We have, we have leaky brains or something. It just it runs out. 
I guess because everything else in this world is not is more like the first husband than the second husband, if you know what I mean, that illustration. And so we go back again to the gospel. Yes, we see that, okay, we are messed up. But then we realize God being rich in mercy. It says in Romans 5.20, um, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. You say, oh, I really messed up. Grace abounds even more. What does that do to you? Well, now I can really sin big. That's not what it does to me. I'm going, oh. You know, God does that for me. Man, I want to live like he wants me to live. It tenderizes my heart. Now, let me go back over. Grace flows out of truth. Uh, Freedom flows out of grace. And then community flows out of freedom. How's that? Well, I said one of the ways that we're free is, verse 10, we're free from sin. For we are as workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What's he talking about? Oh, well, you know, being good. I mean, being better. What, what does that mean? So often we think of that as isolation, individualistic, um, pulling myself up by my own religious bootstraps. We don't realize that what this, this is about is it's going into, and if you read the next few verses, you realize he's talking about our lives being changed, and then all of a sudden, why does he start talking about community? Why is it that we have truncated life change and what God wants in our lives into this kind of personal monkish holiness where, well, I don't use bad words, and I think clean thoughts, and I eat, I don't eat chocolate, and I don't smoke, and I don't drink, and I don't, do, and I don't. And why, why have we turned it into that when they came to Jesus and said, okay, uh, um, what's the most important commandment? He said the two commandments, and this is the summary of the law and the prophets, love God and love people. How is it that we have changed it into this individualistic thing and we've, we've taken away the fact that what God really wants to do in me and in you is to make us better at loving people in Him. Better in our relationships. And we can get so messed up in that. I read about somebody, I just thought this was great, and I thought, I'm going to get this in the sermon some way. That um, someone, he died at age 30, and was buried at age 70. You know, so often we're like that. Little kids don't isolate themselves. They see, I mean, they just get like magnets, they come together. But so often we live these lives of isolation because relationships are tough. It's tough. But God wants to bring about the sanctification, this change in us it's not, I mean, yeah, okay, yeah, God wants us to watch how we talk and everything, you know, what we eat and all that. But he wants us to love him and love people. It's about community. And freedom, uh, community flows out of freedom. Um, let me just read to you. 
this section, verses 11 through 16. And I know it's a few verses, but I want you to see kind of how it flows out. He just talked about God's going to change you when you come into this relationship with him. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, the circumcision, talking about people who were circumcised, in other words, the Jewish people. And Jewish people kind of talked about them. You remember David, if some of you know the story of David and Goliath. David said, how come this uncircumcised Philistine? Well, they're all the people that have not had this happen to them, you know, this, what, what God's people had. Um, the, the, you were uncircumcised, which is made by the flesh and hands. Let's read verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. He's talking about to Gentiles right now. The people at Ephesus were Gentiles, mostly. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But, and always when you see that word but, go, wow, there's something he's about to say that's really big. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once uh, far off, now have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. But notice it's not just a personal thing. Who has made both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. I wish I had the time to talk about the, the problems between Jews and Gentiles, the racial issue that was going on there, the, the hatred that they had for one another. The Jewish people called the Gentiles dogs. They would not, you know, if a Gentile person touched their food, it was like, eh, not going to eat it. I mean, couldn't you imagine that? Someone of a certain race, you know, you see that, you know, at, at Submarina, and they're cutting up your food. And you go, I, no. You go to McDonald's or something. No. That, you know, that person is a, a, certain, a certain race. So you pick it. That's hatred. I mean, and this was long-standing. It wasn't some kind of 200-year, 300. This was like, you know, thousands of years issue we're talking about here. And what happened was, it was huge. It was, a, it was you talk about multi-ethnic, you talk about mosaic. This was happening in the first century. And it blew people away. These groups that would not eat with each other were worshiping with each other. They were hanging out with each other. Oh, were there some struggles? Yeah, they, they had to go through some struggles. But there was community. There was vibrant community that, flew, that, that, that flowed out of this freedom. What does that look like? How does that happen? Koistra, Paul Koistra, who is um, head of our missions um, in our denomination. And there's a, if you get our visitor bag, we put a booklet um, called 31 Days of Grace, which is a devotional booklet he wrote, which is just awesome. And what, and I had Dr. Koistra for my, um, for in seminary. And uh, I still call him Dr. Koistra, but, you know, I should call him Paul. But he, he says in this booklet that when we get grace, 
when we really get it, God transforms us from being consumers of grace to dispensers of grace. And you read through the New Testament and you see it over and over. How can I forgive someone? They hurt me. It says, well, uh, forgive others as you've already been forgiven in Christ Jesus. Pointing to the fact you've experienced this great grace. Let that be the fuel that drives you to say, yeah, I'm going to freely forgive. Because I've been so freely forgiven. So, grace sets us free. And this freedom enables us to really have community with one another. Not only that, but we, and we know we're accepted by Him. We know we're loved by Him. We're embraced by Him. And so... Dealing with our insecurities and like, they looked at me funny. I don't think they like me. I don't know if they're going to accept me. What if I reach out to them and they don't accept me? What, you know, I'll die then. And we still have some of that. But it, it can change radically when we realize we're loved and accepted as we are. We were talking about this group, uh, Switchfoot. Some of you know Switchfoot. And I saw them on TV this past week. And, and, um, and then I got to thinking, what if like, I was friends with Switchfoot. Like I knew all the guys and they came to our house and we made pizza together and hung out and we texted each other and everything. And so, you know, and and I'm just like, just enjoying that friendship. And then someone rejects me. How am I going to deal with that? I say, well, I'm friends with Switchfoot. (laughs) It doesn't bother me. When we realize God loves us and embraces us, that we're not on some treadmill trying to earn the little carrot of his love all the time, that he says, here's a load of carrots. Here is the whole bundle for you, dear one. I love you. He says that we are the apple of his eye. Man, that sets us free. And, and we could say, as it says in 1 John four nineteen, we love because he first loved us. I mean, he just fills us up with this love and we're bursting out with it and we've got to give it away. That's, that's how it's supposed to be. So, grace flows out of truth. Freedom flows out of grace. Community flows out of freedom. And then I said, grace flows out of community. How does that happen? Well, one way is for someone who's a Christian says in Hebrews 3.12 that, you know, um, we need each other lest we get what it called an evil, unbelieving heart. It's interesting. It didn't say an evil, lustful heart, an evil, greedy heart, an evil, selfish heart. It said an evil, unbelieving heart. One of the things that the writer of Hebrews was talking about is, you know, the problem with us, we don't really believe the gospel, we don't really believe what God says. It's so big, it's so wonderful. It's hard for us to keep believing that. And so when we're around other people, other people who believe the same thing, they can say, Donnie, it's true. And Donnie could say to me, Jim, it's true. And, and we all say to each other, it's, it's really true. I know you're struggling to believe it right now, Emily or Frank, but It's true. Um, and then the world uh, sees that community and they're drawn to grace. 
It says in you know, John 13, 35, most of you know that, that um, by this all men will know you're my disciples by your love for the poor. No, by your love for one another. They see their community. And I was reading um, a book by Brian Chappell, who's president of Covenant Seminary, and he was saying that historians say the reason, the first century church, by the way, it's incredible what the early church accomplished with all the persecution and all the government against them. Everyone hated them. They were the poorest of the poor. They had no, you know, and by, um, you know, the third century, they had turned the pagan Roman world upside down. Even in the first century, it says, uh, Acts seventeen six, you who have turned the world upside down have come here also. So even then they were turning the world upside down. But how did they do it? And he said, uh, Chapel said the historians say it was not their theological arguments. It was not their... Um, the, it was not even pointing to the resurrection of Christ. He said, you know what it was? You know what it was? It was their community. It was their relationship with one another. It was so amazing to the people. And we all long for that. We do. We all long to have that. And um, they were drawn. Something is going on here, they said. Well, what does it mean for us? I just want to quickly go over these things. First of all, we need to see the bad before we can see the good. Remember the beginning of Ephesians 2? We need to be willing to see that. And even as believers sometimes, we need to own up to the fact that, you know, man, I am a mess. Boy, I still need God's grace. Not for salvation, but just to live my life, just to love people, just to, just to be the kind of person God wants me to be. And then secondly, what does it mean for us? Knowing grace is essential to freedom and community. So it's very important that we go back again, like Martin Luther said, go back again to the gospel. Sometimes we, and I know I've done this a lot, and I'll probably do it again, so I apologize ahead of time. But, you know, beat everybody over the head. You need to be, you know, doing community, and you need to be free. You people need to be free. Okay? So be free. Instead of dealing with the root of the problem, and the root of the problem is an issue, is an issue of really do we believe the gospel? Not for salvation, but just for now. Do you really believe those truths now? And then community is essential to knowing grace. This is where I'm going to be in community thing. Um, man, I'm telling you, you need to be in community. And I know, and then we talk about, so I know I'm pr- pushing small groups, and forgive me for the commercial here. And I know if you're a, a student, many of you are in campus outreach, you have a D group, man, that's, you know, I'm, I'm not, uh, you have a community there, and that is wonderful. But a lot of you are like I was, Lone Ranger Christian. And that is a terrible way to do it. We need community. We need each other. And the Bible's very clear about that, and it's very clear that the first century had a lot of community. They went from house to house, they shared their meals together. They had everything in common. I mean, they were, even the best of our community looks like kindergarten compared to theirs. But we need to make steps in that direction. I just want to challenge us all. You know, some people say, I need to read the Bible more. I need to pray more. And all those things are so vital. But maybe the missing link in your Christian life right now is, I need to be in community. And I'm kind of scared. But um, I don't know what's going to happen. But, you know, you're not signing up for life. It may not work for you. But I encourage you, if you're not in that, be involved in community. And then finally, it all starts with the gospel. You know, I always have to, when, when talking to a group, 
You may be like me. I was a church member. I was baptized and, and all this. I did not get it. I did not understand. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Um, this is a free gift. We're here. I'm here. And we're here not because we're good people, because we're really messed up people. Come to a small group and you'll find out more about that. But it's because we've been forgiven. We found some, really, like, discovered gold. You know, if, if I found gold on the property, I probably should tell people, I don't know if I would, but, I, you know, I probably should say, hey, man, there's gold here. Debbie, there's gold here. <laughs> you want some of it? The fact is, there's more than enough for everyone. And so that's why we're telling you about it. There's gold here. Let's pray. Father, um, we pray that you would help us to get this message of Ephesians 2. And I know we've talked a lot about it, but Lord, I pray that you would help us, help me, you know, to keep going back again to the gospel and keep going back again to community whereby I'll be reminded about your grace, not just intellectually, but on a feeling level. It's so much easier to believe that that an unseen God loves us, Lord, because when brothers and sisters love us. And so help us in that endeavor to be that community of grace you called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.